Hi everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Creativity Sucks, a new podcast from Creative Review, which aims to ask some pointed questions about the creative industries, in particular the worlds of advertising and design, in the hope of generating some ideas for change. I'm Eliza Williams, CR's editor, and I'll be your host for this show, which will be taking on the question, are the creative industries ageist? This is a thorny topic which generally elicits quite strong emotions, so to join me in discussing it here, I have three expert guests. Joy Nazari, founder of design studio DNCO, Alex Grieve, chief creative officer at ad agency BBH, and Helen Normoyle, co-founder of femtech startup My Menopause Centre and former CMO at Boots. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hello. 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 Now, I'm aware that ageism can be a very personal topic and in many ways is a bias that you only truly recognise when it hits you on an individual level. So with this in mind, I'd like to start off by just testing my guests' instinctive reactions to the main question before we get into the meat of the topic. So do you think the creative industries are ageist? Joy, I'm going to come to you first. What do you think? Well, I certainly think there's something going on, right? Especially from an older woman perspective. Looking around, there are so few female role models to speak of. For me, coming through the industry, Polisher, Cindy Gallup, and then you sort of run out of names really quickly. So there's definitely this awareness that there must be some sort of functional problem that is engineering women as they go through the industry, out of the industry, whether by design or or just lack of awareness that we could actually do something about this. And I'm almost a bit embarrassed to say, I really kind of went through my career thinking, this is just what it is. You know, you've, you've got to be done by 50 because that's, you know, there just aren't any women over 50. So have a great career until 50 and then you'll be out. And now I'm 46 and I'm looking at 50 thinking, Jesus, I'm not done. I'm not ready to go. I'm definitely sticking around. And not just because I still have a lot to contribute, but because I actually want to be one of those women that says, what, what? I don't need to leave this industry yet. So yes, there's certainly something going on. And thankfully, we're going through so much. There's just been so many scales falling off the eyes from a diversity perspective in any case. And this is the next one that just has to really start being looked at very closely. Yeah. Okay. So Alex, I'd like to bring you in here. Just um, obviously you're male. Does this the same thing apply as Joy was saying? She was talking quite specifically from the female perspective. What What are your thoughts? I think you just have to kind of look around you both internally and externally to realize that, in fact, I think it's a really big problem. If I look internally at the company that I work for and, you know, I think BBH tries to do well in this area, but it's still perhaps could do better. There's very, very few people who are over 50. That's certainly the case in all advertising agencies that I've worked in. And then if I look outside into the world, into all sectors of the arts, into advertising, into films, then there's very little representation there as well. I I don't often see myself reflected in any of the work that's kind of out there. So I'd have to say, sadly, that I think the answer is a resounding yes. Yeah. Okay. And Helen, what do you think? I think a resounding uh, yes as well. And it's it's the evidence of our own eyes and it's the evidence backed up by stacks of data. And I think um, while it doesn't affect women exclusively, I think, as Alex said, clearly it impacts men as well. It does impact women disproportionately. Um, and uh, I, there, there are many reasons for this and it's really important to understand them. And I'm sure we'll get 
open to them through the conversation because if we if we want to address the issue, we really need to understand the causes of it so that we know that the steps that we're taking to make the industry more age inclusive uh, of everyone, that we're taking the right steps and the ones that will you know, get us to our goal in the quickest way. Yeah, okay. I agree. I think we need to break it down a bit. It's interesting. I mean, you all come from slightly different areas of the creative industries and you're saying exactly the same thing. And certainly it's something that I see a lot as well. So I think we know we've got a problem. Maybe it's worth looking into why this is. I'm sort of interested to know within the companies you work in or or have worked in, is there a sort of age where most people are at? Like, is there a sort of age group that is most common? Um, Alex, in advertising, the the common perception is that it skews very young. Is is that true at BBH and elsewhere that you've worked? I think it is true at BBH, but I think BBH just reflects the norm. I mean, I was looking at some stats and stuff, and there was a survey that BBH has actually done, which perhaps I'll talk about later. But I think the the average age of ad folk in the UK is like just under 34. So that kind of um, gives you an indication. And and I think there is this general thing, if you are over 50, and I'm 55 now, then you start to feel like quite a rare species. Um, and, you know, I think it's true that a lot of people by that kind of age are either forced out of the industry or kind of voluntarily bring themselves out. Um, And that is something that definitely needs to be addressed because I just think we're losing huge amounts of experience, both in terms of life and industry, that's actually, you know, really damaging our ability as an industry to respond to things that are becoming ever more important. Would you be able to go into a bit why people might either be forced out or leave? Are there specific things that you tend to see as the causes for that? I think there is a, unfortunately, there is with some clients a perception that if you are at a certain age, then the fact that you're not perceived as a digital native or you're seen as not someone who is naturally comfortable on platforms like, you know, TikTok and Instagram and all those kind of things. Um even to the extent where, you know, internally, sometimes, you know, teams feel reluctant to put people like that in front of clients because they think it's going to give the wrong perception of their ability to answer that problem. And then I just think there's, you know, the truth is, the older you get, the more you get forced into a management position, and the less likely you are to be valued for the actual work that you do. And you're not rewarded for that either. So perhaps, There needs to be a thing where we have to break down the whole tyranny of titles and stuff like that and and just evaluate whether people are good at doing the job or whether they're not. Because if I look back, for example, at my kind of peer group when I started in the industry, you know, like 25 years old, and I don't know, maybe, you know, I worked in Saatchi's back then, and let's just say hypothetically there were 50 people in my peer set. I would say there's maybe only me and one other that are actually left now still working in the industry, actively full-time. There are some who are freelance, but very, very few who've actually come through into a position. And that's a terrible rate of attrition. I'd add something to Alex's uh, comment as well, that there's this incessant and insatiable desire for promotion, more more than I've seen ever in, in 25 years, that everybody is trying to get up that ladder and then they end up in a management position away from that creative work product because 
we, we have an industry that doesn't necessarily accept in your 50s that you might be a senior creative. You have to be in a management position. And actually, why can't we have creatives who are who are in their 50s? Why do you have to be in a management position? I think that really needs to change. Helen, in your experience, is that being one of the major issues or are there other things that you've come across that are, are prime causes? I think definitely what um, both Joy and Alex has said, but I, I think there's, there's other things going on as well. And I obviously come at this more from a client perspective. I think as a society, uh, particularly Western society, we equate youth with creativity, progress and fresh thinking. And there's an underlying assumption, I think, that as one ages, one's ability to be creative and to bring fresh thinking uh, declines. And also, I think, as Alex said, there's an assumption that if if you're not a digital native, then you'll never really get digital in that way, which clearly, as a 50, almost 55 year old, I completely disagree with. I think there's some perceptions around, you know, older members of staff are more expensive. Um, and that touches, I think, on Joy's point around, you know, equating progress in career with promotion. And I'll come back to that in a moment. But I also think that particularly when it comes to um, women, that there is ageism and sexism are very intertwined. As we get a better understanding of the impact on menopause, the symptoms of menopause in women, as they hit their 40s and 50s, you know, some symptoms can really impact a woman's cognitive function. So the things that might really help with creativity and if, you know, women aren't given the right support in the workplace, if they're not aware of the fact that they're experiencing menopausal symptoms, you know, they often find they think that they've lost the plot or they're just not capable anymore and they leave the workforce. And a few years later, they realize that what they were experiencing were symptoms of menopause, which are treatable. They could have stayed in the workplace and continued to deliver their contribution so we see with my menopause center and one of the reasons I worked with Dr Spencer to set it up is that I know and I see the data but I know personally so many talented women in their 40s and 50s who are voting with their feet they're leaving the workforce because they they don't feel supported or represented or or welcome or or heard and I I do think it we see it in the same way in, in some ways for men but not to the same degree And I think there's an important message for the industry in this in terms of the industry's ability to really represent society at large and and consumers, because I think it does lead to very inauthentic and sexist, ageist stereotypes of middle-aged women, because we have people, you know, who aren't necessarily that lived experience coming up with ideas. So there are multiple reasons for wanting to crack this and really good commercial reasons for wanting to crack this. Yes, there's a number of things you just mentioned there, which I think we could go into in a bit more detail. Just talking about the menopause, have you felt that the recent sort of media focus and and to some extent this has trickled down into I know certain companies have started bringing menopause policies into workplaces and and there's been advertising that's addressed it as well. Do you feel that these changes have made a positive difference or is there still a lot lot more work to do? Any change is a step in the right direction, and we're still at the foothills, Eliza, in my view. I did. I, I asked around some, some friends in the agency world um, for their experiences, and one of them said to me that um, menopause policies are something that you find you know, behind the, um, behind the phone book, the very good phone book. In other words, that it's easy. Creating a policy is easy. And it's great that companies do that. But what really matters is that companies are living it and they're creating agency support because that's really what we're talking about. And, you know, 
putting their money where their mouth is and providing the support for women going through. Because if I look at the, the latest stats from this year's uh, IPA survey, if we look at the proportion of women in the C-suite, we still haven't got back to pre-COVID levels. You know, two years on, we're a long way off the, uh, the goal of 40% female representation in the boardroom. I think we're at about 33.5%. The activity is great. What matters is outcomes. And if we look at the outcomes that we've achieved so far, we're not delivering. There's an awful lot more work to be done. Gender pay gap, pension pay gap, you know, every stat, there's some progress being made. We do need to have a foot in the ball moment to go, what we're doing isn't good enough. What else do we need to do? I think that's very perceptive. I was talking to my wife about this just before I came on. And listen, I think it is great that there are some things starting to appear around the menopause. But at the moment, it feels like it's, even when it's well-intentioned, it feels like there's a kind of slight sense of lip service being paid to it. And, and you know, my wife is saying she's kind of finds it slightly aggravating. It, I mean, she described it as now they're trying to commercialize my menopause to sell me things and stuff like that. So it has to be done with great sensitivity. And also, it's just the representation of, you know, both men, but especially women in kind of the arts and especially in advertising. I mean, I was reading somewhere there's this trope, and, and, and this is true, and when it's pointed out to you, you see it everywhere. But now the representation of middle-aged women is that they all go cold water swimming in nearly every single ad you see. And it's like, you know, my wife does not go cold water swimming. She's into fashion. She goes dancing. She does all kinds of things. So... There's this intention where we're trying to do the right thing and often we end up doing the wrong thing. And, and Alex, that's so important because there's a, and I'm with your wife on this one, uh, you know, as a 54-year-old, almost 55-year-old menopausal woman, to talk about menopausal women as one category is nuts. It's completely nuts. There are 15 and a half million women in the UK in some stage of the menopause transition. And to think that we all want to do the same things just because we're at some stage of the menopause transition you know, you, you never really seriously entertain that idea, but that's what people are defaulting to. I think because they don't really understand the audience or the market well enough. And that's why, you know, there's a real benefit to agencies to having that inclusive representation of all people, you know, in, in their workplaces. So we get that right blend. It's not one or the other. It's an and. Absolutely. One of my favorite authors is Matthew Syed. I love Rebel Ideas, his book, which talks about the need for, you know, if you want to have a resilient organization, you have to have diversity. And of course, this is another for ages, a massive form of diversity. You have to have older people at the table with an increasingly larger generation of older people. If we can't relate to them, how can we in the creative industries do our jobs properly? In the same way, we, you know, having young people is also important to be represented at the table. It's essential in order to have resiliency in our industry to have that diversity. And then if we just look at the numbers, again, some, some data that come out that this, um, people over 50 spend around £319 billion pounds a year or 54% of total household consumers' money. That's just to state the obvious that this is a huge market that is not properly being addressed. So if you never bought the moral argument, you know, in, around creating a more inclusive workplace that would be better for society, there are so many other reasons for doing it. Just looking at it purely commercially, there's a real imperative there to do it. And other research, really good research done by Nina Next Center show that, you know, women over 45 feel invisible to brands, and but they say that they're more likely to buy from a brand that represents them authentically. So, you know, getting the insights right, getting people who really understand um, people of all ages can only be beneficial for your bottom line as well. 
I mean, I, just to add to that again, and uh, at BBH, we did a ethnographic study called Turning Silver into Gold, where we conducted a series of kind of interviews with people over 65s. And it, it just kind of bears out all this thing. I mean, the, the data is kind of really astonishing. So, you know, over 60s uh, in the UK hold a disproportionate amount of the wealth. It's around 65 kind of percent of the wealth. And yet only 2% of over 65s show up in advertising. And within that 2%, 78% of them feel underrepresented. So it's just the, the whole commercial madness of our over-indexing on Gen Z compared to the actual population who are spending and who have influence over the younger generations is frankly just from a pure business argument, the biggest blind spot within our industry, I would say. So what do we do about it? Because depressingly to me, I feel these stats, uh, you know, 10 years ago or so, it wouldn't have been Gen Z, it would have been millennials, everyone was focused on. Um, but the same things completely applied. And I fear we did stuff at Creative Review at that time, saying that all the same things that, you know, that brands are still obsessed with youth and so on. So why doesn't that change and, and how can we get it to change? Is it a problem with the clients just being blinkered as well as the agencies not having the right teams? Uh, Joy, maybe you could talk a bit about this. Sure thing. So I, th I think it's interesting. One of one of my earliest experiences with ageism in the creative services was actually really young because my mother worked for two different major uh, international branding consultancies. And she left the industry in her 40s for, for exactly that exactly that reason, effectively had a whole second career in biotech, very oddly. And I think that's one of the interesting things that happens. We as an industry, we skew often women are in client services roles, and those roles are deeply transferable. So what we get is actually this exodus of women who are going into other industries because they're fantastic presenters. They have all the right, great soft skills. They're you know, great at managing. And those skills, we need to hang on to those skills. I've got a great friend who was a very successful lawyer, went off and had kids. And she's interviewing now and she's had fantastic success. And I think we have to borrow from other industries who are ahead of us in terms of returnships. So how do we get people, women, I would say, especially after having kids, how do we get them back? You have these deeply talented people who you know have their kids and then it's a difficult, it's a struggle. They're, the paths back into the creative industries are not actually as easy as they are in, let's say, management consultancy or uh, legal practices. And I think we can learn a lot from those industries who are setting up bonuses, who are doing returnships, these sort of internships for people who want to try, you know, without the long commitment of a five-day work week, they want to trial coming back into the creative industries. I, I think we need to do better at creating structures and frameworks for people to be able to come back in, especially after becoming parents. Yeah, it's often the tick boxing was mentioned earlier, and I do often feel like you read a lot about these initiatives, and yet there isn't the actual on the ground change. I mean, Alex, how are you managing this at BBH? What do you say to clients or internally? Oh, I mean, it's it's really difficult. And listen, I agree. I think the whole ramp off, especially for women, you know, for various reasons, when they're either having kids or at that stage, is very very easy, and then the ramp back on is incredibly hard. And there aren't enough returnership programs. There aren't enough things that make that transition 
easier and comfortable. We're trying to do some things. I still think we're a long, long way from being perfect around it. I mean, I don't want to single him out, but I, I still think there's a kind of narrative within the industry that is still worshipping the kind of elixir of youth. I mean, to drag out that old quote from Mark Reed of WPP when he said, you know, the average age of someone who works at WPP is less than 30s. They don't hark back to the 80s, luckily. It's kind of a prejudice. And listen, some of that prejudice is earned because there was a whole generation, especially of men in the 80s and 90s who were, you know, their behavior was less than ideal. But there's, you know, also that whole generation is kind of, as well as it being difficult, is now tarred with all these things as well. So it's very, very difficult. And there is an incessant requirement or a desire from a lot of clients to nearly every briefing starts with how do we better understand Gen Z, even for things that Gen Z can't actually afford, like premium tech and stuff like that. I mean, it is truly astonishing. Helen, what do you think on this? You're on the client side of it. Are the clients to blame? I mean, obviously not on their own, but are they a big part of it? It's always a conversation with your client about who you're targeting. And um, I was smiling, as Alex mentioned, you know, about targeting, you know, um, <laughs> targeting Gen Zs or products that they can't afford. So I think a lot of it comes back to really good insight in terms of, you know, most clients, and particularly nowadays where you know every sector is competing the market is really tough need to be commercially successful as well so really helping I think your client understand how by better understanding the audience that they're talking I know this sounds like I'm not teaching anyone to suck eggs but it is really important to kind of go back to first principles and talk about who are the people that are buying your products that will make the biggest difference to your success you know in the short medium and long term I think there's a few different things in terms of recruit, retain and refrain. So in terms of recruitment, absolutely what Joy said about um, how do you attract women in their 40s and 50s back into the workforce? And there's some very good work that's being done. So there's the Visible Start program, which was um, founded by Jane Evans and others in partnership with WPP. And it does exactly what Joy has mentioned, which is it's about onboarding and bringing back women who might have left, you know, to, to raise a family, but are now in their 40s and 50s ready to come back, but feel that they could never get back into the creative industry or, or the agency world because they've missed that digital boat. So that's one really important way. I think the other way is around retention. So when you have great women in your workplace, how do you keep them? Uh, and I, I think really understanding, you know, how flexible working can help, how right support for menopause um, can help so whether that's raising awareness education providing tailored and bespoke uh, support at my menopause center we're definitely seeing more and more employers go down that route and it will make a difference but i think one of the bigger things is around reframing what it means to have a career and both alex and joy touched upon this as well so if the traditional career is thought about as um or the traditional life the three stages are you're educated you work and you retire there's a brilliant book called The Hundred Year Life, Living and Working in the Age of Longevity. So we're all living far longer. Um, the, 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 the view that we'll all be able to retire in our 50s and 60s is a busted flush. It's unaffordable, increasingly unaffordable. So the reality is that people will have multiple careers and do different things over their lives. And if we could bring that mindset that you might bring in somebody into a creative role in their 40s or 50s who haven't come up that route through their career... So I think that reframing of understanding what a career can look like, and I think Joy made the point around, it's not necessarily about seniority, it's about having different skills 
and really giving weight to the importance of those different skills as opposed to just you know ever increasing in more senior titles is a really important one as well. Yeah, there's a question around success, isn't there? It feels to me often that success is connected to becoming a manager and then often people become dissatisfied because they've moved so far away from the work as well. I mean, is there also something around the way that agencies are structured in terms of time and how people work? Because, I mean, the cliche, and I don't work in the advertising industry directly, but the cliche with advertising in particular is that it's a, you know, it's a long hours culture that you have to work evenings and weekends. If you don't do that, you're going to go by the wayside, et cetera, et cetera. There's an argument to make that that should be changed for all people of all ages, do you think that leads people to burn out and leave the industry as well? Alex, is that your experience of why some of the people you mentioned earlier are no longer in the industry? I think that plays a big part of it. I think burnout is a is a huge issue within the thing. I think the the value of rest is not nearly is not something that's appreciated in any shape or form despite rest being a thing that actually improves productivity. The one thing that gives me kind of hope, actually, and it's kind of coming out of the pandemic has has kind of supercharged it. It draws on really nicely from that point about how our careers and lives are kind of changing as we're as we're getting older. Actually, a lot of the very best kind of creative minds in advertising have chosen not to go down a management route, not to climb the greasy ladder and to put themselves out onto a a freelance market, make themselves guns for hire and and charge a premium rate for it. What actually happens is you get this situation where the most desirable talent in a way becomes the least attainable. Now, that's a problem in the short term for people like me running agencies. Often advertising wants to do the right thing, our industry, but actually struggles to do so. And, And the tipping point becomes when it has to do something about it to sustain its kind of profit and longevity. And I think now, because talent is becoming so rare, we're going to have to look at different people in different ages and different places to supplement the kind of workforce that we have moving forward. So I think the result of that might be that we're a lot more open-minded to all types of people at all kinds of ages returning back into the industry. Totally. I, I agree. Freelancers seem to be far better respected now, perhaps, than in the past, that it, it felt sort of not too long ago that if you were freelancing, you weren't going to get the great, the best sort of briefs, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas now, I think that seems to have changed as well. Would would you agree with that? I, I would, yes. I still think there's a, a cohort of freelancers who have kind of been forced into that position, whether rightly or wrongly. Um, but I do think it's changed. As I said, there's just now some really, really brilliant people who have actively chosen to do it rather than being kind of, you know, gradually forced out because, as we spoke about earlier, they weren't really seen as management material. So they didn't really have any other choice but to put themselves out into a freelance role. And then when you're in that position, you're kind of taken what you're given. Whereas now, there's, you know, people like myself actively looking for that very best talent who, is, who have made the choice not to go into an agency position. Yeah. Does this tally with the design world? Is it the, Are the issues the same? I certainly think so. I definitely, what's interesting is we're seeing quite a lot of, I think the newer generations are actually putting 
a lot of back pressure back. They have a lot of power right now because of uh, the scarcity of talent to say, we, we long ago got rid of um, you know unpaid internship. That's not been a thing for, I think, I mean, I don't know, 20 years probably. But now the, the sort of idea that everyone should work at a burnout rate, I think is also um, not palatable to the younger generation. So I, I, I think there is a shift that's improving um, certainly through the pandemic that everyone should uh, try to have a much more balanced um, work life. So I think that has meant there is scarcity. Right now, freelance is very hot. I don't know if we have a recession. I don't know whether or not that will continue, honestly. Um, but um, but certainly we've we've seen that in the design agency as well. So I would say Alex's experience tallies with ours. Yeah, no, totally. And and Helen, what are you seeing in terms of that? Have you seen more freelancers, perhaps a slightly older generation going into freelancing? Does that work in the client side as well or not so much? I think COVID accelerated a, a shift that was probably there in terms of um, people wanting to have a better blend in work and life and where and how they spent their time and accelerated the trends to flexible working. And I think, as Joy and Alex has said, you're seeing this across all age groups. It's not just for younger people. It's people in all age groups. And you're seeing this, I think, client side in organizations as well. So I think there is a, if I look at some of the positives to have come out of COVID, I, I do feel and see my experience it myself that there is a better understanding of and a value on, you know, not expecting people to reply to emails over the weekend or, you know, when looking at timetables, there will always be, I think the nature of the beast is there will always be last minute requests, things that change. But I do think there's more of a conversation now around burnout, around mental health, um, around, you know, what's 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 sustainable. Um, and I, I would hope that that can lead to agencies feeling they can have better conversations with clients about that because um, it's 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 not it doesn't it's not a healthy or sustainable culture or environment to be burning through people. Um, I don't think anybody really wants it. Um, and as I say, I, I, I do see very positive shifts in that direction. Um, but I think you need to ensure that companies are moving beyond nice policies to really looking at the outcomes. And that's why I wonder if, you know, there needs to be more focus on what are the outcomes, what are the KPIs, because what gets measured gets managed. And, you know, the the, the regular surveys that we get on um, the workforce diversity, on the gender pay gap and so on are really helpful. But I wonder if internally in organizations, agencies should be thinking about what really matters to us and how do we honestly measure it? to see how we're see how we're doing. Yeah, no, it's true because those kind of measurements really are the things that often drive change when you see it in quite stark terms, don't they? I also wanted to just go back to Alex, you mentioned earlier about the briefs focused on Gen Z and the lack of briefs focused on the over fifties. Are there ever briefs which aren't actually age related? Because I sometimes wonder if part of the problem generally is is this fixation on generational differences anyway because I mean do generational differences always apply can not the same things not appeal to a a 50 or 60 something as they as they would to a 20 something sometimes or am I being naive could it change in that way no I, I don't think you're being naive but the the trouble with one of the major problems we face as advertisers is we're always looking for this radical simplification. We're trying to make a very, very complicated world easy to understand. So we break people down into these um, false categories. 
and stuff like that. And and the truth is, people are incredibly complex, and they don't tie into one particular generation. And that's the mistake that we make. It's like you know, you categorise everyone who's over fifty-five as totally incompetent and around digital platforms and conservative. And actually, many of them are highly fluent in using those things, use those technologies in the right way and actually have the ability to put them down sometimes as well. And also, we're forgetting that often that whole generation are genuine activists. Those are the people who grew out of, you know, who defined the 60s, who who actually changed shit and stuff like that rather than spoke about it. And you forget all those things and then you just trope them as, you know, it's it's women who do cold water swimming and like making jam. It's the problem with our industry, isn't it? And of course, you want it to be more nuanced. And if you talk to the smart clients, they get that because they also understand that one of the beauties of having all these platforms is that you can be bespoke. You can talk to Gen Z and Gen X and boomers all at the same time in slightly different ways around a kind of similar message. So we have the ability to do it. It's just it's much easier just to go, oh, we just our problem is Gen Z. We need to think about the future because unless we think about the future, our brands are going to disappear. And of course, of course, it just doesn't work like that. There's a very similar, uh, I think, um, parallel with when you talk about tech entrepreneurs. And we have this vision in our head that a tech entrepreneur has like a funky haircut, is covered in tattoos and is like a 23-year-old. But actually, most tech entrepreneurs are in their late 40s. They've had a career in a particular industry and they've seen a way to disrupt it. And so we have that that sort of cold water swimming analogy happens in the tech industry as well. It makes me laugh a bit. I sort of think all these startups are run by people who are my age, who were maybe in Silicon Valley or in another in another career. So there there is, I think, um, when looking at briefs um, and clients who are running you know, these new businesses, they're, they're they're not Gen Z. They're not even millennials often. Yeah, completely. I mean, in some ways, what we're saying here is there are an enormous amount of cliches that are really unhelpful. Um, I mean, the, the other ones I see more from a sort of, um, in terms of the way this quite patronizing way of speaking about the older generation. So, the you know, the wild swimming is quite a patronizing thing in some ways and a bit presumptive, not to say that plenty of people of all ages wild swim. Um, but, you know, it's, it's this kind of assumption that something will happen at a certain time. And I think, I suppose another danger of it is that you get a situation where aging is always seen as negative still as well. So, you know, these kind of messages make people feel worried about getting older because I'm going to become this person. And I remember seeing something about Liam Gallagher in the press recently, who's pretty much my age and, you know, grew up at the same time as me. And he was saying something about how he wouldn't have a hip operation because it would make him feel old or something, which, you know, was a, a Liam Gallagher sort of quote, <laughs> but um, but there was something in that, in that I think maybe we have to sort of, maybe brands need to kind of reframe just the whole way of thinking about growing older as well. Am I rambling on, Helen? What do you, what do you think about this concept? Well, Liza, honestly, I think that's spot on. I think, you know, as much as I get frustrated at times by some of the things I see, I do think the industry can really lead the way in this and can really be a force for good. So working with clients to help reframe age, what it means to be in your 40s and your 50s and your 60s and beyond. Um, and to come back to what we originally spoke about, to really do that, you need to have people from all age groups in your agency. Because if you're uh, you know, 20 or 30 something and you're, you're trying to project yourself into the life of a 
50 something year old man or woman or a 60 something year old man or woman it's it, I just don't think it's going to be as good or as authentic as somebody who 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 is in that group that's why we have all this focus on inclusion and diversity is because we know that we are better stronger you know on every level when we have representation from all of society in the places in where, where we work and that that's the reason for doing this that there are good societal reasons there are really good commercial reasons for for, for doing it and the industry can lead the way, but it will do it so much better and so much more authentically if it has people from all age groups, men and women. And I would say women in particular, because as, as I mentioned at the top, I do think the lack of representation of women in their 40s and 50s, it affects women disproportionately. I mean, I totally agree with that. And just to kind of reframe that thing in a slightly different way, and this is the value of having people who are older within agencies but within all parts of the creative industries is that there's there's also inherent bias within the whole nature of storytelling that's emerged over many many years where you know the traditional hero is someone who is 20 to 30 years old in the center of things and you know this is especially for women it's the whole hollywood cliche that you get to 35 as a woman you're a heroine then suddenly you disappear only to reemerge as a grandmother 30 years later on screen and the good thing is that, you know, even there having people like Gina Davis who are challenging that kind of stereotype and Reese Witherspoon setting up her own production company that champions, you know, female-led stories and older female-led stories as well. That's the way that you change things. And that's about having representation from those age groups, challenging the orthodoxy and the and and the norms of how storytelling has been delivered over a long time and, and making sure that uh, there's a new form that emerges. Now, that's happening a bit, and it's starting to happen. There are older heroes and heroines, but it's still around the edges of things rather than the norm. Alex, I think that's that's a really great point that you made because stories shift society. They shift perceptions. And we're living with very patriarchal stories uh, about what it means to be an older woman. And you've called out some brilliant examples there with, you know, Reese Witherspoon and Gina Davis. And I, but I, I think the industry, you, you know, we have an industry in the UK in particular, I think, of brilliant storytellers. How do we get more people of all ages and more women involved in that storytelling and given the opportunity to tell those stories? Yes, we come back in a way to the point of, of what do we do now? You've mentioned some of the um, initiatives that are already in place to bring people back into the industry, which are clearly doing great work. But are there more... If you could do something sort of make an urgent change now and, you know, an ambitious change now, what would it be? Maybe I'll come to each of you and, and see, like, what would you really like to see happen and in the next, you know, in the next two or three years rather than the next five to ten years? Um, Helen, maybe I'll come to you first. What are you hoping you'll see change and, and maybe how, if you can talk about that too? I, I would love to see um, age really up there in the priorities for inclusion and diversity uh, agendas and initiatives in organization. And then linked to that um, uh, support for women when they go through the menopause, particularly as it hits most in their, in their 40s and 50s. And there's lots of examples there of the type of support that organizations can put in place that really will make a difference. Uh, initiatives that we discussed around bringing women you know, back into the workforce, that, uh, but that upskilling for women in, currently in the workforce as well um, and then that combined with the right 
workplace adjustments. So whether that's flexible working, part-time working, working from home will make a huge difference. And potentially, I think on top of that, blind CVs could make a really big difference as well. They would be my, my top things that I'd love to see happen. And then measures, outcomes, what are we measuring and how, and how are we tracking our delivery of it? Yeah, no, that's great. Joy, I'll come to you next. Helen's given a great list there. What would you add? So I think the first thing to say is conversation is extremely important. I was very excited about this podcast specifically because topics like menopause and, you know, we should give huge kudos to Davina McCall, who was the first, I think, who really in a very big public way was able to bring that taboo uh, sort of to the public. And I think she's done a great job uh, with that. Um, I think conversation is really important. The word menopause in my career hasn't been mentioned at all in a work context until these last couple of years. And we've folded into our policies and menopause support. And so I hope we'll be seeing a lot more of that. So I think conversation like this podcast are a huge start. People need to be able to have awareness. The scales fall off the eyes. You don't know what you don't know. And so I think that's a major starting point. I would like to see returnships, but I'd also like to see us as an industry hanging on to people in the first place. So um, supporting people as, as they go off and become parents. Um, men and women, because I think we're sharing these responsibilities increasingly and helping parents stay in the industry, I think has got to be a, a really primary focus. I'm very pleased to see some already change. I think Hollywood, bringing Hollywood in was, a, a you know, is, is, is spot on. Alex, uh, you know, the so many films and TV programs, now you see the director as a woman. So I think there are, there are big signs that the creative industry is as broad as that as that is. We're starting to see, and we just have to make sure that we keep shining a light on it and improving the policies as we go. No, absolutely. Uh, okay, Alex, over to you to finish. What would you add to this? To echo some of those points, I think retaining, uh, especially female talent, and then ensuring that there are programs that enable, make it easier for them to return is a huge thing that, a practical thing that we need to do and need to continue doing. And to really challenge ourselves that we're doing it well is something in the here and now that we can do. I think also, as we spoke about starting to break the tyranny of the career ladder a bit, that it's only tied to management positions, that we just value people who are good at the art of, you know, in my case, creating compelling pieces of advertising should be good enough, no matter how old you are. Um, I think we need to continue challenging storytelling by challenging what a hero or heroine is. I think that's a important thing that is gaining momentum, but we need to ensure that it continues afoot. And then I just think it's also using the real, I know, just constantly reminding people about the value of kind of having a few years under your belt, what that means, that the confidence that you have when you reach a certain age, the kind of wisdom that you accrue, I mean, there's a brilliant thing I was reading, and it's, you know, it is about my old governor, John Hegarty, that he was saying, you know, he's in his 70s now. He's not actively involved in BBH. He's he's doing his old own thing, but he still comments on the business. And he's saying recently he's been in the career in advertising for 60 years. And in each of those decades, he's seen a major kind of recession or economic downturn. And he has really wise things to say on how brands should respond to that because he's literally lived it through those six different experiences. Now, if that's not valuable wisdom that should be kind of passed down to 
everyone within the industry, then I don't know what is. But, you know, he has a, a kind of voice because he has his status and stuff built up over many years. But there'll be many people who don't have the kind of fame and knighthood and thing who will be wise in their own way, who just aren't listened to. And that's the kind of huge correction that needs to be made. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think you've all made amazing points at the end there. And and certainly that thing about experience and wisdom and having gone through things before, I think is so valuable, especially at the moment when there's you know so much change. You know, it can be a steadying thing to have uh, someone say, you know, well, this is what I did before and this is how we might think about it. And, you know, a sort of calm approach like that can make an enormous difference. I totally agree with you, Joy, that I think we need to keep talking about this. And certainly at Creative Review, it's something that we return to regularly and we always will, I think. But we're going to finish this show here And hopefully this has sparked off some new ways of thinking. I think there's a lot of hope. I think there's a lot of um, new ideas and things that can be put into practice that we've discussed here. Um, So thanks to Alex, Joy and Helen for all your your insights. Um, And thanks to everyone for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of Creativity Sucks, please check out some of the previous ones that have already been released, which include conversations on advertising and design in politics, and a lively discussion about whether advertising is getting worse. You can find all these episodes wherever you choose to get your podcasts, where you can also subscribe. Thanks very much for listening.